Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 4. The Bible says, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I want to thank you tonight for the good singing. Thank you tonight for the testimonies. Thank you for your presence. And I pray now that you'll bless the reading of thy word. Give us liberty. And Lord, I pray you'd be glorified and honored in everything that we'll say and do. Help us not to say anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit. Speak to every heart. You know the need that's in my life, the needs that's in the life of every individual here. And I pray the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and minister to us tonight. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I want you to notice in Numbers chapter 11 here that this is probably not one of the greatest chapters by all means in the life of the nation of Israel. It starts out in verse number 1 of chapter number 11 with the people complaining and God being displeased with the complaining of His people. And as I read that verse, or I read it the other day, I thought to myself, I'm not going to be too hard on the nation of Israel about that because how many times and how many days in our life have we been guilty of just simply complaining? And the first four verses of chapter 11, if it tells us anything, it tells us this, that God takes complaining very seriously. Seriously, In other words, his anger was kindled against the nation of Israel or some of the people of Israel because of their complaining. But when we come to verse number 4, there's an even greater problem. After God deals with this nation in these early verses of this chapter here, you would think that that alone would sober uh, the rest of everybody else up. Oftentimes we see the judgment of God or the hand of God, the chastening hand of God in somebody's life, and you would think that would sober people up. Some it will, but some just keeps on going down that same road that they're going down. When you come to Numbers chapter 11 and verse number 4, I see here their disobedience as the Bible says that the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Now, the first problem that we see here is that they disobey God by lusting after things that they're not supposed to. I'm going to tell you tonight, every one of us lives in this flesh and the lust of the flesh will get every one of us if we don't Stay on our knees and stay in the Word of God. It's very important that we spend time in prayer, that we spend time in our Bible on a daily basis, not because we're spiritual, but because we're fleshly. Amen? I don't read the Bible because I'm a spiritual saint, and I want to be a spiritual saint. But I read the Bible because I live in an ungodly flesh, and friend, outside the Word of God, there's no chance of me living for Jesus one minute of my life. And so I see their disobedience. They started lusting after other things. And then I see their discontentment. And can I say that's what lust always leads to? It leads to discontentment. And in verse number 4, the Bible says here that uh, the mixed multitude that went among them fell a lusting. And notice this. And the children of Israel also who wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to, li- to eat? In other words, all of a sudden, Brother Jack, they're discontent with the table that God has spread 
for them. You remember that verse of Scripture that says, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? Well, the answer to that question is, Yes, He can, because yes, He did. Amen? For 40 years, God sent manna down from heaven, and He fed the children of Israel with a heavenly food that came from above. But all of a sudden, my friend, they're discontent because they're lusting after other things now. They're no longer wanting the manna that God is giving them, but they want the flesh or the meat, my friend, that this world has to offer them. You know, the same thing is true in our life. God wants to feed us with heavenly manna. God wants to give us something that's better than what this world has to offer. But if you and I are not careful, we'll get that same lustful desire in our heart, and the spiritual things of God will no longer be as important to us as what they once was, and we'll lust after the things of this world. And so I see their desire in verse number 5. As the Bible says that the children of Israel said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Now, I just want to stop and say this. There wasn't nothing free about being in Egypt. Can somebody say amen to that? Egypt offered them nothing but bondage. Egypt offered them nothing but a Pharaoh and a taskmaster. And my friend, they was in nothing but bondage the entire time that they was living in the land of Egypt. But isn't that the way the flesh and the devil is? It'll make you forget the bad that you had when you was out in the world, and it'll make you remember all the good times. Amen? It'll make you hear one lyric of a song, and all of a sudden it'll just seem like heaven all over again, and you'll start thinking, man, that pretty that was some pretty good music out there. I'm telling you what that is. That's the lust of the flesh, and it's the tricks and the deception of the devil. Amen? And so I see their desire. I see their discontentment. I see their disobedience, but also in verse number 6, I see their dissatisfaction. Amen? As the Bible says, but now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. I'm going to tell you something. Verse number 6 is an amazing verse tonight. Because what the children of Israel is doing in verse number 6 is they take one look at the manna that God is giving them and they look back at the world and the flesh and they're longing for the flesh pots of Egypt that they once had when they lived in bondage. And they say our soul is dried away with this manna that God has given us. We don't have any flesh anymore to eat. But when I think about that, I think about the problem that is happening here in this text is that the manna was simply not enough anymore for the children of Israel. And I want to preach a few minutes tonight on that subject, on when the manna is not enough. Amen? When the manna is not enough. You see, tonight this manna represented some things. This manna represented the mercy of God. I think you'll agree with me tonight that God could have let every one of them die in the wilderness and never fed one of them. Amen? But you know what God is? He's not just a great shepherd, but He's a good provider. Amen? In other words, he didn't just let them cross the Red Sea and get out of Pharaoh's hand and get out of bondage, but when they got on the other side, guess what God did? He spread a table for them in the wilderness. Uh, He provided food for them, and he made sure that not one of his children went hungry even though they had backslid, even though they didn't obey God and didn't exercise full faith. God still didn't let them die in the wilderness as a result of starvation. He took care of them, and he fed them because God is a good provider. 
I think you'll agree with me tonight if you're saying there's been times when we've been right and there's been times when we hadn't been right with God. There's been times when I'm not talking about getting out of church, but there's times when we've gave God our best and there's times when we hadn't give God our best, but yet God keeps putting food on the table. God still puts clothes on our back. What I'm saying here is if electricity and water and all the necessities of life depend upon my capability of serving God, my power may be off in the morning. Amen. There may or may not be water when you go to the faucet. But God, through His mercy, and not because of who I am, but in spite of who I am, He still takes care of us. And that's what this manna represented every morning when they went out, Brother Janot, and they picked that manna up. It represented that the mercy of God had been extended to them another day this side of eternity, that God had fed them one more time, that though they had been unfaithful, yet God was still faithful to His children. Amen. It represented the mercy of God. But then it represented a miracle. Amen. Because I think you would agree, this is a miracle food coming down from heaven. Somebody said, Preacher, do you think God's big enough? That if I had a bill, he could put the check in my in my mailbox to pay the bill. I want to tell you something. If God's big enough to put food on the ground every morning for them for 40 years, he ain't got no problem putting the check in the mail. Amen. He may have to use someone else to do it. And then again, he may not use anyone to do it. I remember going to the mailbox one time and I had a need in my life and nobody knew this but me and my wife. We was praying about that. and We was, I mean, agonizing with God. It was a financial need and it was a very long large financial need. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I couldn't ask somebody for the money. I thought about going and borrowing the money, but God wouldn't let me go borrow the money. And so I just started praying about it. I said, God, I said, I need X amount of dollars. And, and I'm talking about it was several hundreds of dollars. And I said, Lord, I need this money and I don't know where it's going to come from. Would you believe this or not? I went to the mailbox, Brother Laddie, and when I opened the mailbox, there was an envelope there that had no marked address on it, no return address. I didn't know what it was. Didn't know if it was a. It didn't know if it was a check or a bad letter. You don't ever know nowadays. And I tell you, I opened that letter up, or opened that, opened that envelope up, and you know what it was? It was a cashier's check for the exact amount of money that I needed, and enough to pay my tithes on top of that. You say, what are you saying? I don't know who sent it. I don't know where it came from in this earth, but I know one thing: there's a God in heaven that knew my need, and He sent the money in. I'm saying, my friend, God is still a miracle-working God. And this manna represented mercy. This manna represented a miracle. This manna, my friend, represented the marvelous grace of God that was in their life. You see, it was not just mercy, but it was grace. Grace takes us beyond what we deserve. My friend, grace is, is that unmerited favor of God. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. I'm telling you, when God gave them manna from heaven, it was showing the marvelous grace of God. And every one of us needs that marvelous grace in our life. But they've reached a place where they no longer want the manna anymore. This manna represented the spiritual things of God. What they're desiring in verse number 5, when they say we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, 
the cucumbers, the melons. Now, I don't know about leeks, onions, and garlics. Do you? I mean, I could take up with some fish, and I could take up with some uh, melons, and I could take up with some cucumbers, but you can have all the leeks, garlics, and onions you want if that's what you call a meal. Uh, but you know what? That's just the way it is. Uh, uh, they'll, they started out looking at the fish, uh, and guess what? They wound up on the garlic. Isn't that right? You know why that is? Because that's the way sin is, friend. The devil will show you the best picture first. Amen? You know why that is? Because if you look at it long enough, uh, everything else starts looking good with it. And that's the sin. My friend, that's the very deception of sin itself. What's happened is they've lost their appetite for the spiritual or the heavenly things, and now they're desiring the food of Egypt. You know, this is what's happening in our churches today. A lot of our churches don't want the manna no more. They don't want the bread from heaven. They're satisfied with the food from Egypt. And they've went out and got the flesh pots of Egypt and brought in the world and brought in the contemporary music and the contemporary services. And they don't want that old-fashioned King James Bible preaching anymore. They don't want the choir. They, they don't want a pulpit. They don't want a preacher that wears a tie or that raises his voice. Uh, uh, but now they brought in the things of this world, the fog machines, the, the lights, uh, all the, the latest new, the new things. They've brought Baptists off the sign, church off the sign. And now they're one-word church. That don't even make sense anymore. You know why that is? Because they don't want the manna. They're tired of the manna. Their soul has dried up. They're remembering the flesh pots of Egypt. I want to say, my friend, you can have all Egypt has to offer tonight. I still want what rains down from heaven. I still want the bread that only comes from above. I still need something fresh every morning. I don't need Egypt's garlics and Egypt's Egypt's leeks tonight. I don't need their fish. I need what God has to give. Amen. Every time I come to church and you come to church, I'm longing for God to do something particular in our life. Amen. I want to say some things about this manna. And I want to ask you this question tonight. Is the manna enough? Amen. Is old time preaching enough for you? Is old time singing and testifying enough for you? I mean, you got to have the latest and, and the greatest, or is it just the old time way? Good enough. I'm telling you, friend, uh, listen, I'm not against plans and promotions and programs uh, in their rightful place, but that's not the main thing around here. It's just some little byproduct we use uh, uh, to help get the gospel out. But, brother, I'm telling you, if that's all we've got to offer this world, we might as well pack everything up and go home tonight. Brother, what this world needs, uh, they need the manna from above. When people come to the house of God, they don't need to see the latest program. They don't need to see the latest promotion. What they need is to be able to pick up some bread off the altar, pick up some bread off the pulpit. They need something that's sustaining to life that will help them and that will feed their soul. Amen. See, the problem in this text is if their soul is dried up, it's because they've refused to eat. Amen. And see, a lot of times in our churches, even in the best of our churches and the best of our members, if we're not careful, we'll just get used to this. We'll just get used to the choir singing. We'll just get used to the preacher up preaching. We'll just get used to the people up testifying. Brother Jack's going to get up and testify, and he's probably going to say he's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily of the Valley. I'm going to tell you why he says that, because God evidently has put it on his heart to say that time and time again. It thrills me every time he says that. But if you're not careful, you'll just get used to hearing that, and it won't mean anything to you anymore. You, the manna won't be enough, friend. I'm saying that's what we need is that manna from above. There was a time when singers sing and people shouted all over the house of God. 
There was a time when the preacher preached, and I'm telling you, listen, our best service today would look like a dead service 20 years ago because people had fire. They had excitement. They was on fire for God. They were sitting on the edge of their seat wondering what God was going to do next. They had been praying before the service, seeking after God. Friend, we need that manna once again, and it's still there. I believe God still spreads a table. The question is, are we hungry tonight? What are we hungry for? Are we hungry for the Word of God? The Bible says, He said, Is not my word like a hammer that breaketh the rock into pieces? The Bible says that the Word of God in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 is just quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know why I love this Bible? I love it because it's the Word of God. But I'll tell you why I love it also tonight. It's because this Bible discerns the very thoughts and the very intents of my heart. And I'll tell you how wicked my heart is tonight. It's so desperately wicked and it's so deceitful that I don't even know my own heart tonight. But you know what God can do? He can take that Bible through reading the Scriptures in the morning time, through hearing a preacher preach on the radio, through coming to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night. That man of God or that Sunday school teacher can teach that book and the Word of God. He'll say something that'll discern the thoughts and the intents of my heart. I'm telling you, I love the Bible, don't you? I mean, it's as rich and it's as good tonight as it was the day that I first got saved. They just something about when you curl up with the Bible and you start reading the pages of God's Word, it'll feed you, it'll strengthen you, it'll help you, it'll instruct you, it'll deliver you, it'll comfort you, it'll guide you along this way. Amen. And I love the Bible, don't you? David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Hey, can I tell you tonight, every Christian needs to memorize Scripture. The young, the old, the middle-aged, we need to memorize the Word of God. You say, Brother Gravely, my, my mind's not that good at memorization. Doesn't matter. You ought to memorize Scripture on a weekly basis. You know why? Because it'll keep you from sin, friend. The Word of God. You see, if we're not careful... If we stop hearing some things preached after a while, we won't think there's anything wrong with them anymore. If we stop preaching some things, we'll, we'll fall into that. You know why? Because sound minds come from sound doctrine. Preachers are commanded to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. There's things in this book I would rather not preach. There's things in this book that the church would grow if we didn't preach. There's things in this book that you wouldn't have battles if you just would quit preaching them. But listen, a sound mind comes from sound doctrine. Listen, if the preacher don't ever preach against homosexuality, there'll come a day when you'll just be like everybody else and say, well, we just got to accept it, you know. You say, well, preacher, I would never do that. You know why? Because you hear sound doctrine. And you know it's not right. Amen. There's a lot of things we could mention about tonight. But I'm telling you, friend, there's got to be a hunger and an appetite for the Word of God. One of the hardest things as a pastor is this right here. Is when you're preaching and you look across that congregation. And you see someone sitting out there. And I think the Holy Spirit lays it on a man of God's heart at times so he'll pray for them. You see someone drifting. And you're preaching to them, and you're preaching to them, and you're not preaching to single them out. You're preaching to rescue their soul. I never take a text and look at somebody and say, well, I'm going to preach to them. But on the same token, when I'm preaching in my mind, sometimes I know that there's people there that this will benefit them if only they will listen. 
It's not that I know everything or that I have any wisdom because I really don't. I'm just simply saying what God said in that book. You see, when you hear preaching, and when I hear preaching, if we'll listen to it, if we'll take it to heart, it'll make us a stronger Christian. It'll help us grow. Sometimes, hey, we don't like to swallow it, but it's still good for us, ain't it? There's a lot of things growing up I didn't want to eat, but I had to. But after I swallowed them enough, I got an appetite for them. You know what I'm talking about? And it's the same way for the Bible. Sometimes we swallow things that we don't really want to swallow, but we know we need to. We know that the preacher is preaching the truth, and the truth has hit us. And when the truth hits you, listen, the best thing you can do is just yield to it, respond to it, and God will bless you forward. Amen. I'm saying tonight, are you hungry for the Word of God? Are you hungry for the will of God tonight? Do you want to do God's will in your life? Is God's will important to you? It's, you know, we, we emphasize the will of God for young people, and rightfully so. But I want to tell you something. Now, God has a will for everybody's life. And it's more than just get married and have children. God has a detailed will. He has a specific will. God has a daily will for your life. You know, I believe the man that gets up and goes to work every day and gives an honest day's work, I believe that's as much the will of God as a preacher preaching the gospel. Because there's people that God has placed him on the job to witness to that, that only he, he's, he's the only person that can witness to, to these people. And he's the only one that can win these people. And so getting up and going to work every day is not just something that we do to get by. But we should look at this is God's task. This is, is God's will for my life. I think that's why you ought to pray about every job before you move to another job. And just because it's more money on the hour doesn't mean it's God's will. It could be the devil. Will because money's not everything. Can I get a witness right there? I'm telling you, money don't bring nothing but bondage in life. Uh, you're a whole lot better poor than you are rich. I'm gonna tell you that much uh, because the more you got, the more you're gonna lay in bed at night and worry about. And I'm telling you, listen, the man that don't have anything, he can pillow his head at night. It doesn't make no difference. Uh, if listen, if the stock market goes down, if he ain't got no money in the bank, it really don't make a whole lot of difference to him. He just has to trust God. But isn't that the way it is with all of us tonight? I'm telling you, I'd rather be broke and in the will of God as to have a lot of money and be out of God's will tonight. But you've got to be hungry for the will of God. You young people, listen to me. It's the most important thing in your life. The will of God. And you'll never find it if you don't seek it. You're not smart enough, and I'm not smart enough to, to figure out the will of God. You have to seek the will of God. The will of God comes through prayer. It don't just come by accidents or chance or circumstance. No, it comes when we ask God to show us, to guide us in that way. Are you hungry tonight to know God's will? There used to be a saying, I remember as a teenager, I don't hear it said much anymore, but I'm determined to start preaching it more myself. Preachers used to look at young people and say, are you in the center of God's will? Are you in the center of God's will tonight? Are you where God wants you to be? Are you doing what God wants you to do? I'll tell you in the center of God's will, how you can know it is there's peace. There's peace like nothing else. Circumstances may not add up. Things may not come. But the center of God's will brings such peace. The center of God's will will bring blessing in life. In the center of God's will is the only place that God will put His blessing on you like no other. 
God may be merciful to us and God may do things in our life, but if you really want God's blessing, find the will of God. Get in the center of God's will. Follow God's will for your life. And I'll tell you what God will do. He'll bless you more than you ever thought that, that He could. Are you in the center of God's will tonight? I want to say tonight, are we hungry for the Word of God? Are we hungry for the will of God? And then I'll tell you, it's a burden in my heart tonight. Are we hungry for the worship of God? You know, oftentimes when we think about worship, we think about church. But I'm not necessarily talking about church tonight. You see, praise is an outward expression. Worship is inward. The first time you see worship in the Bible is when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain and they were sacrificing both. In fact, in the Bible, when you go back to it, if there is no sacrifice, the Bible doesn't even call it worship. Worship, ought to, there ought to be sacrifice in our life. We live in a society today that doesn't really like the word sacrifice. Folks want to come to church, and I'm not saying everybody's this way, but I'm talking about Christianism as a whole. Most people want to come, and they want to be preached to. They want to be entertained with some music and then sent home to go back to their life to do whatever they want to do till the next Sunday. But that's not worship, friend. Worship comes out of a devoted heart. Worship comes out of a devoted will, a desire to do what God would long for them to do. Worship involves sacrifice, uh, uh, giving the sacrifice of praise, uh, giving the sacrifice of our own time and our own effort. Worship is something that should be done on a daily basis. You know, you worship God going down the road, can't you? You worship God in the morning time. You worship God while you're getting ready in the morning. You can go off in one of the back bedrooms of the house or in the living room somewhere and get on your knees and worship God. I mean, God's given us access to worship. I think worship at home or to be, uh, or listen, will help us and worship in church or to just be an extension of something that we do every day, not just three times a week. Amen? Many of our churches, their soul is dried up. The manna doesn't really satisfy the preaching. I'll tell you, one prayer of mine tonight is this. I pray that Bible Baptist Church keeps the fire burning. Amen. Amen. I I don't know why it is this way sometimes, but I like it high octane every service. Somebody say amen. Amen. I like smiles and head head nods, head nods, amen, (laughs) and hand waves. I like it in church, don't you? I actually think, I believe it's a sin if you don't do it. Somebody give me an amen right there. I think when a preacher has to ask you for amens, then you're backslid. Somebody say amen right there. You say why? Because I'm telling you something. In 28 years of being saved, I made a lot of mistakes, but I remember getting on my knees in a service somewhere and saying, never again will I go to church and sit there like a knot on a log. Never again will I let the preacher preach by himself. Never again will the singer sing and me not raise my hand. I ought to be in hell tonight. It don't cost me nothing to worship. And every opportunity we walk through them doors is a privilege to worship. Sometimes problems get all of us bogged down. But hey, I'm telling you, if you're a real Christian tonight, you can worship through your problems. You can worship before them and after them, but you're to worship through your problems tonight. And Brother George, he's just worthy for me to raise my hand tonight. He's just worthy for me to say amen. I'm glad I get to hear the truth on a Sunday night. I'm glad I hold the truth in my hand. I'm telling you, listen, two-thirds of the world has never even seen what I'm holding in my hand tonight. That alone is enough for me to lift my hand up in church and say, God, you've been good to me. You're worthy to be praised in my life. And if God never did anything else, He's worthy. Because He's wonderful. 
He's God. He's holy. He's high. He's let me know who He is. He's my creator. He's the one that sustains my life. He's the one that put breath in my body. He's my great physician. He's the healer of my soul tonight. He's the one that provides for me. He's the one that takes care of me. Listen, He has smiled His face upon me another day. He has blessed me beyond what I can see and what I can't see. He is just worthy to lift up holy hands and magnify His name. Amen. If you and I are not careful, the mantle of worship won't be enough. You'll be guilty of just coming and getting through a service rather than getting in a service. I'll tell you, every one of us have the same potential of longing for this world. I I remember there's just things. I'll say this and move on, but there's things tonight that I've tried to do that, and I'm not saying this is for everybody else, but it is for me. It seems like, Brother Laddie, every time I say that I'm going to do something for recreation, and I'm not against recreation. I've been saying for five years I'm going to start hunting again. I've been saying that. Used to hunt all the time. And uh, I've been saying, I'm, and I'm not against you if you hunt, but for me to go hunting, I've got to go spend $700 to start all over again. Because I've got, re- yeah, at least that. And, I can't, and every time I think about that, I think, man, I, you know, I can't just go hunt here and there. Some people can. Man, I'm going to go till I shoot something. If it's a squirrel, I'm going to go. Hey, man, or a tree. I've got to go like kill something. Isn't that the way hunting's supposed to be? And I, I finally the other day I said, I'm just going to forget it. Because I know how I am. God will not let me do anything that I'm going to give myself to more than Him. It's so easy to let that. And if you hunt tonight, I'm not saying that you do that. I, I'm talking about myself. It's just everybody's different, you know. Some people can take it and leave it. But sometimes this old flesh just wants to go full force for everything but God. I don't want anything. I don't want anything to capture my heart tonight. I don't want anything to rob me of that joy, that fervency, that thrill. I'm telling you, even ministry, I, I, so many times you can get so busy even in ministry that, that you know, you have to just pull back and say, I ain't doing that no more. I ain't doing that no more. It, it may make half a dozen people mad, but I'm telling you, listen, the man of God has a responsibility to labor in the Word and prayer. And I'm telling you, listen, if something takes you away from praying for you and praying for you, if something takes you away from being in the Word of God, then I don't believe it's of God. Amen? I believe the most important thing for a preacher is to, is to pray for his congregation, to prepare the table, to, to stay in the Word of God, to be a witness to souls. Isn't that what this thing is about? And ministry has a way of attaching different things to you that's just not a priority. It's not God's priority. And what I'm saying tonight is this. Amongst everything else, if we lose our hunger for worship, we've lost it all. I've seen churches have revival. And grow and God start blessing if they're not real careful. They'll go from being a, they'll go from worshiping to working. They'll go from ministry to a machine. No moving of God. Oh, let it never be that way. That's why at least once every six services we need a gully washer around here, don't we? Amen. Keep your hunger for worship. The man of worship. 
the manner of witnessing tonight. Brother Genove testified about it, and I'll say this and close here in a moment, but he got to talk about witnessing, and while you was talking about that, I was thinking about what God had put on my heart to preach tonight, and every one of us tonight, this preacher included, we ought to constantly have a burden for somebody that needs to be saved. And that burden ought to produce a tear in our eye. There ought to be something that we pray for on a daily basis. Who is it tonight that you know and that I know that's going to hell? You remember when you first got saved, how that when you first got saved, you, you had that burden? I mean, I think one of the first things that happens to somebody when they get saved is they want to see their family get saved. They'll start, they'll start asking people to pray for their family, and they'll want to get their family in. If you're not careful after you get your family in, you'll, you'll just quit. But it ought not be that way. It's like he said tonight, you never know that track that you hand out, the impact it's going to make. You never know the next person that you talk to, the difference it's going to make in their life. And, and I want to say tonight, that's what's missing so desperately in our churches today is people have lost their burden as a whole. Oh, may it be said tonight about us that we be a people of, with a burden. Tonight, who is it that we know that would go to hell if we don't witness to them tonight? I'm saying the manna, my friend, of witnessing for God. Don't let, that, don't let your soul dry up on that. Get a burden for somebody. Pray for somebody, witness to somebody, weep over somebody tonight. Not the danger is always that we would long for the flesh pots of this world. The most deceiving thing about church is this, is you would think sitting here tonight in this congregation, if you're not careful, you'll think, man, I'll never get out of church. I, I Preacher, I'd never do that. But I'm telling you, friend, when you lose your hunger for God, there's another hunger starts growing. An appetite. I remember a lady that, that came one time and talked to me and my wife about something, and she asked us to pray about it. And, and I prayed about it for a week and come back and, and was just helping her pray about it. We was praying about it. She came back and she said, I, she said, I think this is the will of God. I, I told her, I said, I'm not the Holy Spirit, but I said, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think it's the will of God. And she said, well, preacher, I, I, I think it's God's will. I said, well, you do whatever you feel like God wants you to do, but I'm telling you, you ask my advice. I've prayed about it. I don't think it's God's will. I think it could be detrimental to your life. And, um, you know, time proved that as she went down the road she was going to, going through, going, going, intending on going down, it would have ended in disaster. And what I'm saying to you tonight is this, is our flesh can, can blind us so quickly in life. Our flesh can, can make us think that something is right when it's not right. And the only person that really knows is God. Hey, my friend, we must hunger for God on a daily basis. Tonight, I don't want to hunger for this world. I want the manna. I'm telling you, I want preaching and praying and singing and shouting. I want that to be enough. I want it to be as real tonight. I don't want even in a good church, I don't want to lose my fire. Don't, don't ever get used to just sitting on the pews, just going through the mechanics of worship. I'm telling you tonight, keep your fervency. Don't get caught up in things in this world that would rob you from hungering for God. When's the last time? And I'm, I know many of you do, but I, I'm not talking to those who do. I wonder who here tonight. You don't have to raise your hand, but I wonder who here tonight, if you be honest, when's the last time you've read through this book? 